We're in Colossians, the book of Colossians, written from Paul in a prison to a minority church that he's never met. He's just heard about from a guy named Epaphras. And as he writes this letter that we have before us, he, he just anticipates, just two things. No, he anticipates that the church will grow and prosper and that people will bear fruit. He says in chapter 1, starting in verse 6, he says, This gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. Down to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So he says, you know, my anticipation, he says, is that you will grow in the knowledge of God and that you will bear fruit. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's producing this in your life. So this, this, this anticipation, um, he says in chapter 3, he says, you know, you're new people in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 8, we'll look at this morning. He says, this, he says, but, 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 he says you, you once walked in these ways, past tense, but now, present tense, you must put them all away. So there, there's a past tense and a present reality. The second thing about this passage is that Paul is operating from the glorious foundation of the gospel. It's, it's all too easy to run to the passage we looked at two weeks ago, where Paul deals with five attitudes, or this passage, which he deals with six attitudes, and just start saying, okay, like two weeks ago, put away sexual immorality and and adultery, and evil passions, and covetousness. Just put those things away. But, but you have to realize that Paul says these things flow from, and the ability to obey them for us, flows from an understanding of the gospel of grace and what the Lord has done for us in the person of Jesus on the cross. For example, in chapter 1, he says this, just a couple of verses. Verse 13 says, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption and the forgiveness of sins through the work of Christ. And he goes on and says in verse 19, he says that, or verse 20, says through him he, he will reconcile to himself all things, whether in, on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. So, so, so we have been transferred from darkness to light. We have been reconciled by the blood of the cross. We now stand before the Lord, holy, blameless, and above reproach, not because of what we've done, but because of who Christ is in us and our union with him. And so Paul says, because of these things, put to death those things that remain in your body. Chapter 3 says this, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, 
And he says sexual immorality, impurity, which is adultery, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. He, he assumes that all of us deal with sinful inclinations. It's called the flesh. But, but we operate from the, from the basis of, again, the glorious foundation of the work of Christ. So, so hear me. When we raise our children and our grandchildren or teach those in our community groups or in our Sunday Bible fellowships, and, and, and we say, now, do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And it's not flowing from an understanding of the greatness of the gospel of Christ. We are selling out on the greatest motivator in the Christian faith, which is behold the majesty of Jesus. If we just browbeat people and say, don't do this and don't do that, and if you do this, it'll go well with you. If you don't do that, it won't. That, that is an okay motivation, but, but it's a lower shelf motivation. It's not the highest. We are behavior modificationist, but we're not gospel-laden people, gospel entranced, gospel-freed-up people. Our motivation comes from saying, behold the majesty of Jesus. Now walk here. So, so we, we want to labor to understand and know the gospel and operate out of the glorious foundation of Christ. Paul says this, you once walked this way, but now, but now you must walk in a new way. But, but now you must put away these. And he mentions six things. Anger, wrath, malice. Slander, obscene speech, and lies. And my thesis this morning is that these attitudes destroy marriages and destroy families and destroy churches. And they destroy community. So very briefly, definitions. Anger is that, that, that emotion that's just right below the surface. Just, just an ang you're an angry person. You deal with anger. Wrath are episodic eruptions where you just lose it and you just let it all out. Uh, that's, it's, it's boom, boom. Yeah. Malice is thinking uh, of, 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 and desiring evil to be done to other people. Malice. Slander is speaking ruinous speech Defaming speech about people around you. Obscene talk has two definitions in the Greek. One could just be, some translations say, filthy language. Another translation, though, is language that ridicules and belittles people made in the image of God. And then lying is not telling the truth. And so, so you look at these things and you go, now, Paul says, we must walk as new people in the Lord. I was thinking about this, and I'm in my Bible reading for the year. I'm reading through the book of Leviticus in part. And Leviticus is one of the Old Testament books, the book of Moses. And it's, it's laws about the people of Israel. And, and, but, but let me just read. It can be pretty wordy and hard to get through. But I was thinking about this, and I was, I was reading Leviticus 19. Let me just read a few verses in Leviticus 19. It's about relationships among God's covenant people, Israel. That's what he says. When you, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. 
and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord God Jehovah. So he says, be concerned about the poor people. Don't, don't take all the crops out of the field because I am the Lord. And then he says this, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. In other words, we walk before God. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Pay, pay people. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in the court. You shall not be partial to the poor. How's that? Or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Just a couple more. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. See, in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am Jehovah. And the last one. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land and you shall not do him wrong, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Jehovah, your God. And I read that, you know, we walk before God. We are people who understand that God watches over us, and we are responsible. We're to walk as new people. So I'm going to give you three statements from this passage and one application. <clears throat> So I look at this list, the list of six attitudes. And quite frankly, as I pondered them, I thought, well, when it comes to issues four, five, and six, four, five, and six, um, I, I can do these okay. See, attitude number four says this, you, you shall not slander people, which means to speak with insults and defame their name. Number five is no obscene talk whether it's filthy language or ridiculing someone, and, and you shall not lie. And I thought, you know, I, I can do those things, kind of, sort of, if I just keep my mouth shut. You wake up in the morning, you take the vow of silence. You say, I'm, I, I, I am not, I'm, I'm not going to speak today. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm not going to speak. The only time I'm going to open my mouth is to consume some food. I'm not going to speak. So at the end of the day, somebody says, well, have you, have you, have you slandered anybody? No. Have you been involved in any obscene language? No, 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 I haven't spoken. Have you lied? Nope. But then look at the first three. And I'm going, oof. You must put away anger. Get rid of it. Anger. You must put away episodic eruptions. 
you must put away malice, which is thinking evil and having evil intents in your heart towards other people. You know, I read this. Said, God is in the business of changing my heart. It's one thing to just keep your mouth shut and not participate, which is sometimes a very godly thing to do. But it's another thing to, to from the heart. Psalm 19 is a famous psalm that talks about the beautiful order of creation and, it, and, and, and then talks about the authority and the healing power of Scripture. Uh, and then it closes with this statement. It's a plea from the heart. The psalmist says this, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Hidden faults. Keep back your servant from known sins. May they not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Then he says this. And this is, to me, let me see. This is mind-boggling. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, I'm going, okay, words of my mouth, once again, vow silence, but the meditations of my heart. And I step back and say, you know, God wants my heart. He wants to change me. And I think of the discussion that Jesus has in Matthew 12 with the Pharisees, and, and the Pharisees have just accused Jesus of blasphemy, and Jesus turns to them and he says, this, you bunch of snakes, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. In other words, Jesus says, in your heart, in, in my heart, or, 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 you, you cultivate something and they're in your heart and it's there. And, and whatever is in your heart, you will speak. From the overflow of the heart, you see, the mouth speaks. See, the, the good man out of his good treasure speaks good. But the evil man out of the evil treasure, like you Pharisees, speak evil. And I, I just say, the, the Lord wants to change my heart. Think of John Calvin, died in 1564, the reformer. In those days, you would adopt a personal seal and go to the woodgraver, and he would engrave it, and you would stamp your letters with your seal. John Calvin's seal was, was a heart held up by two hands, and on each side of the heart was the name of the Lord Christ. And the caption these says, My heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Promptly and sincerely. So, first statement is, is that God wants to deal with my heart so that my meditations and the overflow honor Him. The second statement is that I'm going to deal with slander and obscene talk as, as one word, one concept, which means insults, defamation of character, and ridicule. I am I enjoy reading the Wall Street Journal, and I'm always somewhat amused that occasionally on page two of the Wall Street Journal, there will be a, a, a little 
thing at the bottom, and I, I, I think they're, they're very earnest, fine people. I'm not being critical. But it, it will say retractions or corrections. And it will say, no, in last Wednesday's edition, we said X, and we found out it's not true. And I thought, well, who reads page two at the bottom? Besides, I, I guess some people do, but I mean, no, most people don't. So last Wednesday, they said, this congressman is a thief, a liar, and he has bad breath. And so one week later, they said, well, we were wrong. He doesn't have bad breath. But, who, but it's, 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 it's out there. It's out there. And I, I read that, and I think we live in a toxic culture. It's just toxic. It's a landfill. I think we live in a toxic culture where defamation of character is the word of the day. Some of the people here are attorneys, and I think if you're an attorney and you're dealing with defamation of character lawsuits, you're, you're, you're busier than busy can be. I mean, it's just, we live in a toxic culture. So a week and a half ago, Billy Graham died, age 99. And I quickly realized, talking to people, that if you're under the age of 40, you don't really know who Billy Graham was. I mean, you do, but you don't. But for those in my age group, Billy Graham really defined, to a degree, evangelicalism during my growing up years. I mean, he started Christianity Today, which became a flagship magazine of the evangelical movement with a man named Carl F.H. Henry. Uh, he, he, and and I, my, my comment, he was 99. If, if, you, if you're in ministry for 99 years or whatever, 70 years, and you don't offend a bunch of people, you're not breathing. So let's just say that from the get-go. At the same time, Billy Graham, to me, was a man of incredible integrity and ethical uh, content. And he preached the gospel. And I have a deep regard for him. I mentioned to the church last Sunday night that I saw what he was paid about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when he was still head of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I thought, there's got to be a zero missing. I mean, really, it's amazing. And, and so, uh, gracious, kind, um, a servant. So I say all that. So two days after he died, I was just reading some articles, and there's a young woman, 30-ish, uh, who uh, wrote a pejorative piece on Donald Trump, and she was interviewed on TV, and she kind of became a, she's enjoying her 15 minutes of, of fame. And she wrote an article, and she said in her article, Billy Graham rot in hell. Uh, oh, Really? And then she wrote another article, and she called him uh, something that is horrific. And I thought, if they say this about Billy Graham, what are they going to say about me? And Jesus said that. If they call the house, head of the household bills above Jesus, what will they say about you? But as, as I read that, I thought, of all the people, I mean, you may not agree with this message, but this was a gracious and kind man. And then I, I Googled this woman, and she gave a commencement address at a very small college I'd never heard of last year. And I read the first part of her commencement address, <clears throat> and it was toxic. It was horrible. And I grieved for her. I thought, if, if you live in a toxic environment, the overflow of your heart is going to be a toxic bile of horror. And, and let me tell you, my personal opinion is we live in a toxic environment. We do. <clears throat> when I was a young man in seminary, uh, I was um, a college pastor at a church for three years in North Dallas. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. And the man that I reported to was the pastor of education. 
And so I've been there about three weeks, and we got together. He was very fun-loving, uh, <clears throat> thought we were going to have a great relationship. And we sat there in his office, and forgive the language. But he said, Buster, the first thing you need to realize is the people out there that we are supposed to care for are really bastards. They're out to get you, I thought. I thought, I misunderstood him. I said, I beg your pardon, and he repeated it. And I thought, good grief. And, and by the way, he was wrong, okay? But I saw his life fall apart. I saw anger and criticism and cynicism. And I, he's a young man, 35, 36. I saw him uh, destroy his marriage. I saw him leave the ministry. And I thought, life can be, listen, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so when we're in, involved in a culture of, uh, of toxic waste, be, be very careful. That's not, just be careful. Be, understand that we're surrounded by slander and obscene talk. Uh, some of you... <clears throat> understand people that, that operate like this guy did. You'll see many Sam. Uh, you know, he was, he was just kind of a, kind of a crusty curmudgeon. And, and, and so his theme could have gone something like this. I came up with this. I expect the very worst from humanity, and I'm occasionally surprised. I expect the worst from humanity, and I'm, I'm, I'm occasionally surprised. And I, I just, in thinking about that, I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna. Don't misunderstand me. I understand sin. I, I love the police force. Um, I, I lock my doors at night. Uh, for years, whenever one of our planes go over from the Charleston Air Force Base, and I had my kids in the car, I'd say, listen, that's the sound of freedom. And I understand that uh, in a fallen world that sometimes the way you control a brute is to have a bigger baseball bat than he has. I know all of those things. And yet, I think when we enter into life and we look at people, we need to realize these people even if they could care less about the things of Christ or curse his name, are made in the image of God. Every man, woman, and child from every ethnicity and zip code, they're made in the image of God. And therefore, they can, because they're made in the image of God, express beauty and truth and paint uh, beautiful sceneries, landscapes and, and, and write beautiful music and, and care for underprivileged or people that are hurting because they're made in the image of God. And, and no, there's a scale of depravity. We have up here, we have noble non-believers who, who are very gracious and caring and great neighbors. And down here we have thugs who, who, who are involved in genocide. I know that. But, but people are made in the image of God. And when I look at believers, I say they're made in the image of God and they have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God is working on their hearts 24-7. And as they submit to him, there's more freedom and joy and input and power that comes from the Spirit. But God does not slumber or sleep. It gives me great confidence as a parent and a granddad. The, 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 the things that I would fret over, the, the, the living God is way ahead of me there. Therefore, I can enter into relationships with hope. So here's an application. And some of you, I don't want to offend you, but I'm going to say it. There is a toxic nature to Fox News and to CNBC and to CNN. And if you indiscriminately let that stuff get, stuff get pumped, in, pumped into your brain, you're going to be filled with a certain amount of toxic 
stuff. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. We're called to be new people in Christ. What pornography is to the heart of purity, some of this talk, radio talk, is toxicity to the mind of a believer. That's why Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever is good and noble and right and harmonious and full of goodness and mercy, think about those things. So just hear that. Third point. He says this passage, get rid of anger and wrath. And I look at this, and I don't have anybody in mind. I don't have a list of people. There are people in here today and in the sanctuary, the worship center here. There are people here today who come from families of anger. And sometimes you don't realize it. I don't know about you, but I was bumped along and had, I thought my family was really great. I do have a wonderful family. But then I got married. And some objective eyes focused on my family. And my wife, who's wonderful, said, well, you know your family does this? And I'm going, I've never thought of that. But we do. And, and, and so the, some of you come from families of anger and, and, and wrath. And the bottom line is, don't you mess with us. Don't you mess with us. Others here come from families of, of, of lust and adultery. Great-granddaddy had an affair. Granddaddy and daddy had affairs. They left their spouses. They slept around. And that's the ethos you grew up in. Some of you come from families of alcohol abuse, drug abuse. It's just throughout your family chain or, or, or so forth and so on. So, so my, my point is we all deal with family cultures. I read a book a few months ago, and it was a good book in some ways, but, but there's a few great concepts in it. And one of the statements made in the book that I just thought this is really pretty good is this. He's talking about dealing with the familial sins, the sins of your family. And he says, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you have grandpa in your bones. And I thought, yeah, that's true. So, so you, you deal with your stuff. It's only, it's only true of families, but there are cultural sins. Um, whether it's this country or that country or whatever. Whenever I read Titus, I kind of chuckle because Paul is appointing Titus to go to Crete and to appoint elders to rule the churches and guide the churches and shepherd the churches. And so he gives a list of what an elder should be. And, and he says to I, Titus, you know, Titus, it's going to be tough being in Crete. This is what he says about, about Crete. And this means that Paul would not write the brochure for the Chamber of Commerce from Crete. But listen to this. He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, has said this, quote, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, close quote. And then Paul says this, and this testimony is true. Oh man, welcome to Crete, you know, you know, lazy gluttons, evil beasts are us. And, and he says, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And Paul says, you know, basically speaking, and we know from, from ancient literature, Crete was a tough place. There was some issues in Crete. Paul says, you know, it's true. But Jesus came to make us new people. I was recently with a uh, 43-year-old, 44-year-old man who's received a PhD in missiology. He's very bright. And he's serving at a country in a country I will not name. 
Uh, and he's been there nine years, and he's planned his life, and he loves the people, and he's reaching out, and he's trying to, trying to help build the church and to win people to Christ. And, 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 and uh, he's, just, he's a delightful guy. I spent a whole day and, and had end of the night, we just talked and shared. And so I, I said to him, I said, you know, what, is the, what is the biggest issue facing the church in this country? He said, that's easy. He said, this country has a majority religion that um, thinks lying is good. This line is good. Deceiving people is good. So you don't deceive your family or your best friends. I mean, that is, that is an ironclad. You, they are, you, but outside of that, if you can deceive people and kind of lead them astray and give the upper hand, you're considered to be smart and crafty and with it. You know, that blew my mind. I mean, I've been I've raised in this culture. It's a Judeo-Christian culture, and thou shalt not lie is kind of part of who we are. Not that we always do it, but we don't applaud people when they're deceptive and liars. And I said, I said, well, I said, let me tell you what happens in the church. This has happened time after time after time. Two brothers or two sisters or brother and a sister have a falling out. And so this person and this person starts working their way through the church, telling slanderous statements and lies about the other person to win the day and to defame the character of other people. He said, it's horrible. We deal with that all the time. And I just thought, there are cultural sins that you, you deal with. There are family sins that you deal with. Now, uh, I, I am a, I, I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Tolkien. The movies are so good. I was with a group recently and we were talking about movies and they admitted that they had never seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I was embarrassed for them, you know. It's like living one mile from the Grand Canyon and never bothering to go to the North Rim and gaze into the Grand Canyon. I said, are you kidding me? Listen, go get the trilogy and watch it. And if you're at a dinner party and somebody says, have you seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy and you have not, do not tell them you go to church here. That's just embarrassing to me. I mean, you know, come on. But in The Lord of the Rings, there's a man named Gandalf. And he's with the Fellowship of the Ring. And they're going to a place of hope. And there's a huge monster called the Balrog. And the Balrog is pursuing them through a cave. And, and so Gandalf turns, and here's Gandalf turning, and he says this to the Balrog. And it is so good. I, I, look, I look at these things occasionally just to get pumped up. I mean, really, this is good. This and when Gandalf comes, the two towers, and they, yeah, so good. Anyway. And then Eric, anything Eric, anyway. So, so Gandalf turns, and this is what he says, and, 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 and he says, you cannot pass. I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udin. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. And I just love that. 
And then he takes a stake and he draws it in the, in, in, in the cliff or the bridge and, and the Balrog falls into the abyss and Gandalf falls with him. But, 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 but it's just, to me, it's, it's a biblical statement in this regard. It's like Joshua 24, where Joshua says in the Old Testament, you can serve who you want to, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. <laughs> we're going with God. And, and Gandalf is saying, you know, you cannot pass. The, 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 the flame of Uden does you no good. Go back to the shadows. You cannot pass. And it's, it's, like, it's like, especially the servant leader of the home, who is the dad and the husband, standing up and saying, we may have come from a line of adulterers, but it will not happen on my watch. We may have come from a family of scorekeeping and vindictive, slandering anger, but it's not going to happen on my watch. We are breaking the cycle by the power of the Holy Spirit. We may come from a family of substance abuse where drunkenness is just everywhere, but not on my watch. You can't pass. Just do that. We all deal with family sins. Some are more prominent than us, but we all deal with it. Say, I have been called of God to be a new man in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, it's not going to happen. And so very quickly, I look at this, I look at the question 144 from the larger catechism, which deals with these issues, and I just gave a little, just a little test, just walk through it and think about it. Just say, grade yourself one to ten. It comes out of question 144. It's there. Just read it. It's so good. Okay, four questions. Number one, do I promote the good name of others? It's an easy question. Do I speak well of other people? Do, do I defend them? If somebody is criticizing someone and I know that what they're saying is not true, do I stand in the gap and say, you know, you shouldn't talk that way. That's just not true. Don't do that. Number two, do I extend a charitable judgment or esteem to others by giving them the benefit of the doubt? In other words, do, do, I, do I withhold being censorious? Do, do, I, do I just care for people? I'm surrounded by people who've done this for me, and I thank God for it. Number three, do I, do I cover the infirmities of others? Now, the Bible is very clear that you deal with sin. Jesus says, give the plank out of your eye and get the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew 18 says, if your brother is trapped in sin, go to him. Galatians 6, if a brother is trapped in sin, you're a spiritual, go and restore him. So we, we, we want to deal with sin. But, but this, this, this uh, covenant of infirmities, 1 Peter 4, 8, means that if somebody is having a bad day and says something they shouldn't, do you just kind of say, hey, you're having a bad day and go on? Or do you just barbecue them? In your marriage, are you forgiving? Are you quick to forgive? With your kids, are you quick to forgive? With your parents, thank you, children who forgive us. Are you quick to forgive? Fourth, am I, am I one who is intent on studying and practicing those things which are true and honest and loving and of good report? In other words, do I fill my mind with good things? How do I address the toxic culture? And then this, this, this incredible statement, Paul says in verse, verse, verse uh, 9, uh, you've put off the old self, past tense, with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. So, so it's a present tense ongoing thing. You see, we are to be renewed today 
in our understanding of the goodness of Christ. If we are to live this type of life and represent Christ, we've got to be people who are constantly renewed in our thinking. We think biblically. We understand, I love the hymn we sang last week by, by Charles Wesley. It says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. And that's just a great th line theologically. Canceled sin means that my sin has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus, past, present, and future. But not only that, not only have I been forgiven, but by the Holy Spirit, he breaks the power of canceled sin. So I can live a new life. So, so how am I renewed so that I live a new life? And I think the answer here is you immerse yourself in the greatness of who Christ is and the gospel of grace. Just three quotes. One is from a guy named Martin Luther who said this, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine most necessary is it that we know this article well and we teach it and we beat it into their heads continually. In other words, we talk about the gospel. Behold the wonder of the cross. Behold the forgiveness of sin. Behold the redemption in Jesus. Behold being declared righteous by his work alone. John Calvin said this in a letter to a friend. He said, but, but it is time to show in reality that when you have set yourself frankly to follow Jesus Christ, you have not done so without being resolved to hold fellowship with him at the cross. Stand at the cross. And then a wonderful little book called the Prodigal God by a guy named Tim Keller. This is what he says. It's so good. Oh, it is so good. You cannot change such things through mere willpower, through learning biblical principles and trying to carry them out. Hear that? We can only change permanently as we take the gospel more deeply into our understanding and into our hearts. We must feed on the gospel, as it were, digesting it and making it part of ourselves. This is how we grow. So good. So you know, sometimes you, I, I fear that in the past I've had the impression that the gospel is the entrance door to the kingdom. But I see now that the gospel is not only the entrance door, it's the foundation, it's, 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 it's the windows, it's the bricks, it's the mortar around the bricks, it's the, it's, 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 it's the, it's the roof, it's, it's, the, it's the slate on the roof, uh, it is the chimney, it's the window dressing. It's, the gospel is everything. The gospel is through everything. Do you make much of the glory of the cross in your life and the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you, to quote Calvin, do you have fellowship with him at the cross? That's how we change. Jesus came to make us new people. So, um, Easter is the first day of April. And you heard Van very articulately talk about it. And So, we're just asking you to pray about three people who are unchurched or show minimal interest in Christ. And, and just pray for them this month, especially this month. And uh, if you have a chance, you know, you may say, hey, I think a great idea is to say we're going to have Easter lunch on the 1st. We want to have you come over our house and have some hospitality, have some, we're going to cook out. And, uh, and, and if you don't have any place to go to church that day, if you want to go, we're going to church on Easter Sunday morning, April the 1st. And, but just hospitality and love. We got to think intentionally about reaching people for Christ. 
I'm not reaching our neighborhood for Christ, our, our campuses. And, and it's so important. So hear that. Also, this month, uh, I feel like a lot of times we have a service and we close in prayer, and, uh, and yet people may want to talk about something or get prayer. Um, I had a situation this week in my life that was devastating about someone I love dearly, doesn't live in Charleston. And I immediately sought out her brother to pray for me and to pray for him. And so you may be at a service and you hear something said and you say, I, I, I want to pray with somebody. And we want to be a praying church. So the Bible says in James 5, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so you, you may at the end of the service say, I, I, want, to, I want to pray with somebody about um, a family issue or a friend or a situation we're facing just to be the body of Christ. That's, that's what we're here for. We're, we're here for that. So we're going to sing a, a closing hymn. And at the end of the hymn, um, here and in the worship center, there'll be some people up front, elders and some staff, just to pray with you. If you want to start, we're going to do it in the month of, of March. Just pray for each other. If God, if you want to just pray with somebody and share a concern, that, that's, we are the body of Christ. So hear that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you transcend culture issues and familial issues and personal issues. And uh, I thank you for the fact that uh, you've come to break the power of canceled sin. Sin is canceled at the cross, but you've come to break the power. You died on the cross that we might be a people that are pure-hearted and caring and forgiving and not filled with anger and not filled with record-keeping. You died on the cross so that we might be your people and, and, and represent you to our world as we rejoice in the goodness of Christ. So thank you for that. So come, Holy Spirit, really change us. Give us hearts that are prayerful for people who are outside of your mercy, as far as we know right now. People that, that, that need to know Christ. And let us befriend and love and care and speak Jesus to them. In whose name we pray. Amen.